Hello, I'm Lockie Hunt, and this is episode one of Citizens of Heaven. That's right, yep. We've uh, talked a little bit before kicking off this podcast. Um, my name's Simon Mason. Um, I am a um, leader on staff at New Earth Tribe in Byron Bay. It's actually shortly to be renamed Tribe Byron Bay, but I also help run a uh, Bible school there. It's actually a registered training organization. Uh, and we offer a range of different kingdom training courses. Um, and, you know, Lockie and I have been talking for a while about kind of just taking a bit of time just to to, to, to get, get away from, you know, course staff or church staff and just have some really good, solid conversations about kingdom principles, life in the kingdom, what it means to be a citizen of heaven, what it means to be coming to terms with this journey that we're on that the Holy Spirit's leading us into, deeper into the kingdom, and really just kind of bounce some ideas off each other. Uh, stuff that we look at, I don't know, within the life of the community, stuff we look at within the life of the college, stuff we look at just within the life, uh, doing life with the Spirit as well. I think there's a lot of a lot of fascinating revelation in there. And so we talked earlier, we thought the idea of framing some of these conversations through the lens of being citizens of heaven was a pretty good way to start off. Yeah, well, I think it's also a good match that the two of us are doing it as well for mm. the fact that you've had some quite a lot of experience in um, church leadership, leading the school, um, I mean, writing a lot of the content as well, and then me coming in um, with much less experience and being able to play with these ideas um, and incorporate them into my, my everyday life. Um, and yeah, and I, I've always thought, I mean, when I, when I catch up with um, other people in my life that don't have these direct conversations with you, I find that a lot of the wisdom that I've learned through the school and through, through this kind of concept of being a citizen of heaven and that shaping everything that you do in your life, all of that wisdom ends up coming out in one way or another. Um, so yeah, I guess this will just be an open forum of ideas and um, subjects that we can really flesh out um, and find the Father's heart and perspective on all of the things that we grapple with in our in our modern day. Totally. And in a way, I think what we're really kind of hosting here together is just an overflow of some of the conversations that we've had over the last, you know, 18 months, 24 months. Obviously, we've had a friendship for a couple of years, but just getting together over coffee, hanging out, raving about the kingdom and just going, man, we're, we're digging into some cool material here. It'd be so good to record some of these conversations and just kind of capture it, capture what we're kind of exploring together and really put it down on paper and well, put it down on, on a recording as it were and, and uh, open it up for other people to hear. So I'm massively excited for where this uh, podcast is going to go. We're not quite sure which direction it's going to take, yeah. but uh, this is... I guess with in the kingdom, everything's an experiment. So you just kind of right. launch out a little bit and see what the mm. Holy Spirit breathes on and see what kind of comes out. So Totally. Sweet. Well, I feel like a good subject to start on mm -hmm. would perhaps be peace or favor. Okay. Yeah. I really, actually, I quoted this on my own personal Facebook through the week. Um, one of your quotes from a subject that we did in the school. Mm -hmm. um, peace is not um, inactivity, but rather authority over chaos. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's from a, a subject we run called Kingdom Administration. And Kingdom Admin kind of really steps back a little bit and looks at the idea that God actually really loves systems. Uh, it's a bit of an unusual idea because a lot of the time the church has often acted as a bit of a, I mean, the emergent church or the spirit-led church or the, the, the Pentecostal church has often acted um, as a counterpoint to the systems and traditions that have kind of existed in the previous generations. Um, and a lot of the reasons why is because oftentimes the systems that we have sometimes actually act to stifle the, the presence of of the Holy Spirit. They actually um, can stifle what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do, or they might exist to solve a problem that no longer exists anymore. It's become a legacy system. Um, or, you know, the, the system has become so focused on producing an outcome that it actually disempowers people in the process. And so a lot of what we look at at Kingdom Admin is kind of the idea that actually the Holy Spirit's desire is to use systems to leverage our impact on this earth. Um, one of the great things we see at the end of Revelation, and just as a side note, I'm going to quote a lot of verses, but I'm not always going to get the reference right. I don't know how people manage to do that. It's just like yeah. the weirdest thing when someone someone just can speak about biblical verses off the top of the head and then just nail the reference as well. Yeah. I'm always amazed when that happens. Yeah. But one of the coolest verses I think we see at the end of Revelation is where it says, and the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God, or, or the kingdom of this world have become the kingdom of our God. And... You know, it's it's kind of fascinating because if we kind of like look at, the, interpret that through the lens of most traditional kind of end time views, you're like, well, what's God doing kind of redeeming or restoring kingdoms? Shouldn't they just be wiped away and kind of uh, displaced yeah. as it were by the kingdom of God? But instead you have this kind of vision where instead of getting wiped away, actually the, the kingdoms of this world get renewed and restored. Uh, mm. To a point where you can actually look at them and go, "Hey, they're no longer the kingdoms of this world. They've actually become the kingdoms of our God." Yeah. And the thing to keep in mind is these kingdoms—they're actually systems. I mean, you can't really have a kingdom if you don't have a system in place. A system is a is a structure where a bunch of people operating in disparate jobs and solving a problem, um, yeah. getting together and, and seeing that system kind of come together. So I think you know if you look at before we can even jump into the idea of you know the the, the purpose of peace, uh, we're really looking at the idea that God loves systems and He wants to see them redeemed. Yeah, um, pull out the unhealthy values where they've been oppressing the, the weak or the poor. Pull out the unhealthy values where if people come into contact with this system and they feel disempowered, mm. uh, everyone's been in a job where you've come away going, "Man, that system sucked." I just came away feeling like I was just a piece of a tube of toothpaste and I just got mm. squeezed out and they kind of threw me away when they were finished. Yeah. Getting rid of, you know, uh, redeeming systems so that they no longer have values that treat people like that or no longer oppress people or no longer kind of inhibit the 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 flow of the Holy Spirit through the system. Yeah. Uh, that's a really key idea. Yeah. So, I, think, uh, I think the first time that I started to see... Um, see systems and, and functionality through that lens um, is when I read in Acts where they were serving food um, and they, were, they, they decided that it wasn't good and, and, and um, prosperous for the leaders of the church to be serving food and spending time in that way. And it act, the Spirit actually says, choose men who are full of the Spirit. Um, and I guess that kind of just shows that systems are incorporated to value people, value their identity and give them 
a uh, a stage or, or or a workplace to really put put their twist on things and use their identity to serve and to to be a part of that greater system. Totally, yeah. And what you see in that example too is leverage at work. Uh, it's no longer worthwhile for the apostles to be out there doing this job. Uh, they need to leverage the time that they have in a more efficient way uh, by spending that time seeking the Lord, pray, praying, searching the scriptures. And But I think it's fascinating, the point you pick up, they're men that are full of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Well, why do they need to be full of the Holy Spirit before they come into this new system that's getting started? Well, it's because as you start, so as you begin, so shall you continue. Mm. It's really important to have a system built up that really values the presence of the Holy Spirit. So they're choosing guys, bring them into a system because they already have in their life a value for the existence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's one of these ideas I think we'll look at later on is that the Holy Spirit, actually the grace of God, uh, the presence of God is actually not a static thing that kind of shows up or doesn't show up, but it's actually a flow. I mean, the picture we see again and again and again is a river. Mm. Ezekiel saw a river flowing from the temple. Um, Jesus said, you know, he that believes in me from his innermost being, streams of, of living water will spring up and overflow. Mm. Uh, and then you go into these visions in Revelation and, you know, John sees, oh, and I saw a river clear as crystal flowing from the throne and beside it on either side was a single tree of, you know, and all he goes in this whole vision. But what he's seeing is a flow of something from the throne. Yeah. Uh, and that, that flow actually comes out of Christ, um, through Christ. And that's, that's really the presence of grace. That's the presence of the spirit. That's the presence of the empowerment of Christ mm. flowing through him. And, you know, the apostles want to flow with the river. They want to actually facilitate the the, the flow of the Holy Spirit from heaven yeah. to earth. And so they, they're setting up a system. They choose these guys. They're like, we're going to choose guys who are going to come under us and they're going to flow in in this same presence that we have as well because we want to make sure this system, who, whoever comes into contact with this system, has an experience of the presence of God like they would have if they were coming into contact with one of the apostles. Yeah. Yeah, I love the image of like aqueducts in the, in the Roman Empire. Yeah. Um, these things that were created to facilitate the river to maximum efficiency and maximum um, usage um, really maximizes how we can facilitate the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yeah. And I, Massively, I, yeah. It's yeah. a great image. Yeah. I've, I've received that as a vision many times in prayer when praying, praying corp, like for corporate things such as... Um, you know, worship team or, yeah. or sound team or things like that, wanting to see these these um, these strongholds of the kingdom that need to be flowing with the Spirit um, really take a hold of systems and structures yeah. to maximize the Holy Spirit. Massively. I think, you know, you can really say, well, that what defines a kingdom system mm. uh, is that it actually has created space, uh, not just by accidentally, uh, but by by intention. I mean, if you don't do it by intent, then you won't by default. Mm. Uh, intentionally creating space for the existence of the of the of the spirit to flow through it. Mm. One of my favorite verses is in uh, Proverbs. Uh, and again, I'm not going to have the reference, but you know, the great thing about Google is you can just jump on there and plug it in. But it says the heart of the heart of a king, or the, a king's heart, is a watercourse or other translations say is a river in the hand of the Lord and he directs it 
with us so which well maybe with us so well wherever he wills basically the the, the kind of the, the gist of the of the proverb is you know a king what defines the heart of a king is that his heart is a river and it's a river that's subject to the leading of the father or the leading of god so mm. what it's saying is all these ideas that kind of come tumbling out of this verse you've got this idea that the heart is actually a place through which a river flows. Yeah. I mean, what's the river? Well, the river is actually the river that Ezekiel saw, that John saw, that Jesus referred to. It's the river that comes from the throne. Yeah. A king's heart, um, you know, Jesus is the king of kings because we are called to be his kings. Mm. Uh, well, part of our inheritance is to rule and reign. Um, it, we're being called to, 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 to rise up, as it were, and, yeah. and rule and reign in the spirit realm. Part of the function of a king what makes you a king is that you're mm. actually your heart has become a vessel that facilitates the flow of 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 the spirit from heaven yeah. to earth that that river originates uh in in the heart of the father it flows out through Christ through the the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth that's why you see this river coming out of the throne mm. but even more than that it actually flows down uh into the hearts of of Christ's kings yeah. uh, the heart of a king is a, is a water course in the hand of the lord uh, but it actually flows out even even from the hearts of his kings, and that's why you know you've got this prophetic picture of the temple being the corporate vessel of of the church. Mm. And you know these guys going Ezekiel specifically goes in his vision. He says, "I saw the river coming out of the temple, and it flowed out. And even as it flowed out of the temple, it got deeper and deeper and deeper." Mm. Which basically means that part of the, the the function of the river is actually to flow through uh, the hearts of a king through the systems that God set up through the the kingdom systems He's established out into the world mm. to have impact. And that's really where you get this idea of choosing men that are full of the Spirit because they're building a system that they want to have leverage so as much as possible uh, we can actually facilitate the flow of the Holy Spirit from heaven mm. to earth. Yeah, and I mean, would you say that that is a new a New Testament um, new creation paradigm? Because I guess you see in the Old Testament we had priests and kings, um, and and the priests were consulted by the kings of of how to, I mean, make certain decisions even. So do you think that, um, I mean, yeah, it's an Old Testament paradigm for them to have a priest and a king, whereas now all kings are priests. Yeah, it says he's uh, made us to be a kingdom of priests, and so it's kind of. You know, we are kings and priests, which suggested the concept has kind of merged. Mm. I mean, for me, they're really, I think they, they can be seen as similar concepts. I mean, the, 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 the thing is with a priest is a priest goes to God on behalf of someone else. Mm. Um, in the old covenant, that was in relation to making sacrifices. Um, there's obviously the atonement sacrifice that dealt with sin. Um, Leviticus spells out a whole range of other sacrifices. Some of them are about attracting God's favor. Some of them are about uh, cleansing personally. Some of them are about cleansing the corporate camp of mm. the Israelites. Some of them are about uh, making the temple holy. Um, when you first see the, the temple consecrated, the sacrifices and the priests do that, they're making the space holy. So there's a whole range of functions you see the priests kind of performing in the old covenant, but they're really doing it on behalf of the nation of Israel. They're kind of going into that space to, to do it because other people can't. They're the special class. Mm. And so if you kind of pull that concept over to the New Testament, well, everyone who's in Christ is full of the Spirit, but yet we're all called to be priests. So what does that mean? It means that 
I, I can actually access something in God for uh, my brother mm. or for someone else who's in walking with God and I can actually release to them something of the nature of God that they can't access of themselves. Yeah. We've all kind of become priests to one another. Yeah. Uh, we've become uh, facilitators and we've become mediators to one another of God. So, Lockie, I mean, you're sitting across you know, the room from me right now. You're going to mediate something in the nature of God mm. and release to me something about who God is that I'm not going to be out of access through my relationship with God. Yeah. And in that way, you've kind of become a priest to me. You've yeah. released something of God's nature that I'm like, yeah, if we weren't in relationship, I wouldn't have that thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, kind of a priest can access something that, the other, that, that, that another person can't. And so in that way, we've all kind of become priests. We're all releasing revelation of the nature of God. Mm. Uh, that's why you have this idea all the way throughout the New Testament that it's only corporately as a whole body that we're going to come into a revelation of God. Mm. So that's the priest kind of paradigm. Yeah, King paradigm, that's a little different, but it's it's still similar. I mean, a king is going to, re- as we said, looked at before, the king's going to release um, grace and uh, aspects of the kingdom mm. that is going to flow through the heart of a king. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is with a king, though, is a king is going to actually determine what prevails in the spirit realm to a greater level than I think a priest. A priest, priest is going to supply, but I think a king actually has kind of like a like a, like a a governing function, as it mm. were, about what can be released and what can be empowered in the spirit realm. Yeah. Uh, and you see that through leaders. You know, a leader, like a great leader like Bill Johnson, who's really pioneered a lot of breakthrough for, for his community, he's going to really determine a large part the grace that rests over their house. Yeah. yeah, he's going to determine that you come into this is one of the great things about Bethel. I mean, you go to that place, you lay hands on the sick, and you're like coming under the kind yeah, of the, yeah. the, the, not just the anointing, but just the grace. I mean, yeah. anointing is really an old fashioned word for grace. Yeah. Grace is defined as, you know, the, the substance of God to do what we previously couldn't do without mm. grace. I mean, grace can be given um, just for our everyday life. You know, give us this day our daily bread. It's like, hey, I need grace. Yeah. Uh, but then grace can also be really specific as well. It can be for a specific function. And mm. so I think you know when you you go to you go to like somewhere like Bethel, you've got um, a specific grace over the region to lay hands on the sick and see them and to see them get get healed. That's partially because Bill has gone on behalf of 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 the community and access that grace. Mm for the whole community and you come into that atmosphere and you're receiving something uh, that you might not have otherwise received. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess as you spend time valuing the Holy Spirit, um, it's your role as a king to create space for him in, in your life. Um, so it's kind of like you're, you're, you're being both a priest and a king um, and spending, yeah, spending more time in that place, having your heart, drawn deeper and deeper into that place it's going to eventually come out into the natural world into the material world is how you spend your time what comes out of your mouth what goes into your eyes yeah yeah i mean we're called to be vessels of grace Um, that means that i go into the presence with the lord and i get really filled up with the grace of god i go Mm. into the secret room or the secret place um, and I get filled up with something that I can actually go out of that place and then begin to give the substance of God away. And that, that, that's through grace. I mean, it says of, 
Christ, you know, they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Mm. Um, it's not just describing the, the teaching. Uh, there's an aspect where it's, yeah, you could definitely read it. It's like, hey, your teaching's really gracious. You know, we've been yeah. under the law. Something about this is a bit different. But there's also something happening that as we speak to one another, we can actually impart to each other grace for the journey. The and, and grace, coming back to that definition, I mean, there's an element where grace is, you know, the unmerited favor of God, I've heard it described, which is kind of like, you know, the one-time salvation kind of experience. But it says of the disciples in, in Acts, and great grace was upon, was upon them. Or Jesus says, you know, he exalted um, he uh, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, what's going on there? You've got more grace and less grace, and you've got God giving grace and withholding grace. Mm. It tells us that grace is actually a dynamic substance. You can actually yeah. have a lot of it, or you can just have like a little bit. And you can do stuff in your life that's going to give you more or give you less. Mm. Um, and so how we live our life is going to determine how much grace we can access yeah. and how much we prioritize meeting the Father in the secret place, meeting meeting with Christ in, in the secret place, um, learning to get ourselves filled up is going to determine to a large part how much grace we have in our heart to give away to other people. Mm. Um, so really a lot of this kingship priest, priesthood stuff really just originates in actually just being so full of the presence of God that we've actually got stuff to give away when, when we need to. Yeah. And so I guess peace would be a dynamic substance as well. That you can foster in your life. Yeah, I would agree. You can definitely go from measure to measure in, in peace. Mm. Um, coming back to the uh, the quote that we obviously started this conversation off on is that peace is not the absence of activity, mm. but it's 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 governance over chaos. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess in the traditional sense, we we see peace as as just stillness of being being still, mm. and there's obviously an element which you know, that's true, but that's kind of true in a natural sense. Mm. It's not necessarily true in a spiritual sense or, a, you know, the the sense with, with which it matters. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, that's why Jesus says to the disciples, hey, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but I give to you. Mm. Why? Because the world, the peace the world gives is, hey, let's all just be really still you yeah. know, and then there'll be peace. But the peace that God gives us actually becomes... It's like grace. It's like a substance that has come from heaven. Mm. Uh, and he, that's why it's, you know you have this really great picture where Jesus breathes on the disciples. Uh, it's a mm. prophetic picture. I mean, it's obviously not, he's not just breathing. It's not the air that's coming out of his lungs that's specifically peace, but it's a prophetic picture of air coming through Christ who is the mediator between heaven and earth. Mm. And there's something about the air. Cause, why? Because he wants us to turn our mind to the idea that peace is an atmosphere that has been mediated from heaven yeah. to earth. My peace I give you, not as the world gives you, yet as I give to you. So he breathes on them. And, you know, he's trying to get them to recognize that peace actually is an atmosphere that's come from the inside of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as we kind of... Um, kind of explore with systems and obviously bouncing back to systems is God's peace is directly related to governance. Mm. You have the prophetic promise in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 57 of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Yeah. What does that say? Well, peace can actually increase, but it's going to increase at the same time as God's government continues to increase. So that tells us a little bit about, you know, peace, peace is going to increase. 
but it's connected to something else as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, have you been in environments where systems have grieved the spirit or rather system, the lack of systems has grieved the spirit? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's an interesting question. I mean, it's part of the bizarre thing about being on, on this type of a journey is that, you know, we're all learning to f- not just hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, but also feel what the Holy Spirit feels. Mm. Um, a great way of kind of encapsulating, I think, the journey that that we're on is is that we're learning to see as heaven sees. Mm. I think Leif Hetland puts it that way. And that's a really great idea because it says that we want our worldview to be the same as the Holy Spirit's worldview. Um, so, you know, sometimes you you can step into an environment um, and sometimes you can really feel what the Holy Spirit's feeling in this environment. Mm. Um, and yeah, there's absolutely systems that do exist that that have counter-kingdom effects. Mm. I mean, look, you can basically go straight out right now and just say that like systems of racism, greed, um, systems of, of sexism, um, they, of course they're going to grieve the Holy Spirit because they they don't accord with the principles of the heart of the Father. I mean, mm. in, in Christ, there, as Paul says, the, heart, the principle he lays out in Galatians, there's neither slave nor free nor Jew nor Greek nor male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. So whenever you have a system that's uh, going to disregard that, of course it's going to grieve the heart of the Father mm. to a level. Um, and so, yeah, I would say, I mean, He's grieved, but but this is the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is that He's put us all on a journey, um, mm. and I think He's put every uh, nation, He's put every person, He's put every system. Mm. Well, let me clarify. Let me qualify that. Not necessarily every system, because some systems are actually in, inherently unhealthy, or exist for an inherently unhealthy purpose. I mean, look, apartheid in South Africa, or like racial structures in, in, in the US prior to the civil mm. rights movement. I mean, these, these systems weren't really primed to be redeemed. They, they kind of just needed to be deconstructed. Yeah. Um, and you can come out straight away and say, look, you, the Holy, they, 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 that's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. But, but it's important to keep in mind that every system, God has a redemptive plan for it. Mm. I mean, that's why we come to the end of Revelation and the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God. Why? Because God's plan and purpose for every system, every nation, every ethnos, every tribe, tongue, people group, every heart uh, that has said, continued to say yes, his plan has come to fruition. Mm. Um, we do not yet see Christ, but but we will see him. You know, One day, every everything will come under the feet of Christ. Mm. And so really what it's telling us is that God has redemptive strategies for every every tribe and region. So I think, you know, while God does look at systems and, you know, there can be major grief, at a deeper level, there's a, a deeper desire to see these things, um, to, to, to cheer on their transformative process. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that there is a maximum amount of, I guess, efficiency that we can put on a system do you think there's a maximum? Do you think there's a cap? Whereas we've done the absolute capacity of our co-laboring with the spirit and that once that's established, the spirit will flow to the absolute most that it can for each person's heart. 
like I guess I guess what I'm thinking of is our physical material reality. This is a playing field. Is there a perfect way to set up everything? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think God is the God of continual and relentless upgrade. Mm. Line upon line, precept upon precept, you know, little here, little there. Mm. You know, that's kind of the way he builds the kingdom. Yeah. And the moment you kind of feel like, oh, we've got this sorted, Holy Spirit throws a spanner in the works uh, and it creates attention. So, I mean, it's like, it's, is there a way to perfectly run your church? Is there a way to perfectly run your business that is going to perfectly align with the plan of God? Mm. Well, God's plan always kind of accommodates the changes that we have, and he's always calling us up to a higher level. Mm. And so I think, you know, there is no cap. There is the perfect will of God. Paul says, you know, that you might uh, know what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Mm. I mean, how can you have acceptable and perfect at the same time. So he's obviously talking about three different categories. The good, there's a good plan. Mm. There's an acceptable plan. Or there's a, there's God's good will for your life. You're going to be a Christian. You're going to do well. There's his acceptable will. You know what? That's probably not what I would have planned for you, but that's acceptable to me regardless. And then there's the perfect will of God, uh, which is really his perfect plan. And we kind of come into that question of like, well, what happens when you're on, when you hit the perfect, do you just kind of tick the box? It's like, no, well, the perfect will of God is a trajectory for your life. Mm. Um, and to be in the Value. perfect will of God is to be on a trajectory where you're continually saying yes to the leading and the initiation of initiative, mm. not the initiation, the initiative of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's going to bring us on a, on a plan. So fascinating thing is whenever you, I mean, if you were to like get the perfect kind of like uh, download as it were, like you'd seek the Lord. He gives you a really clear plan or structure for a system. I want you to build a business that looks exactly like this and you build that business that looks exactly like that. Um, he's going to throw in attention. Mm. He's going to create attention in that environment. Because yeah. the, the, the great thing about tension is it actually causes our heart to grow. And so oftentimes we think, oh, how can I be in the perfect will of God? I feel so much tension in my life. Um, I know on a personal level, I just... And I feel like I've constantly got these bizarre tensions occurring where I'm like, why is that pulling on me this way? Or why is it pulling me that way? Mm. But God uses unresolved tension in our life to cause us to, to dig into the grace of heaven at a deeper level. Mm. That unresolved tension always drives us into uh, pulling out more of his, his grace, pulling out more of his, like the image would be like to dig a well or to, to draw water out of a well. We go into a secret place. We draw out of heaven greater levels of grace. So we draw out greater levels of peace yeah. through our connection with God. But God's always going to allow our circumstances to have really bizarre, unaccountable tensions because it's actually calling us to go to a higher level. Yeah. And so one of the life cycles I think we see of systems is that we see God releases a... He kind of releases like a like a plan. And you're like, oh, great, we've got a plan. Let's put the plan into action. And you go ahead and you start putting the plan into action. And um, you, you implement it. Then it's literally the moment you implement it or the moment before, God will introduce like a random t tension. Yeah. Like it's someone else. He's like, oh, this guy's really not according to the plan. Or, or it's, you know, the Holy Spirit moves. Or mm. the system or the problem changes. The problem's yeah. constantly changing. I mean, systems exist to solve problems. I mean... You run a business, it's existing to solve a problem. Mm. If you run a system, you start solving the problem. 
the problem's going to change. Yeah. And so instantly you've moved towards this point and the goalposts have moved on a little bit. And that's not bad. I mean, that's just continual improvement. You know, in the kingdom we have a, there's a, a you know, it's it, the kingdom is constantly increasing. The kingdom is taking ground. Um, the systems that are that are causing the kingdom to be fruitful and productive on the earth are constantly in, in constant upgrade. And so God allows tension in our life to produce the need for a greater uh, implementing of, of the kingdom mm. um, to drive us into the secret place, to drive us into getting a better plan, to drive us into realizing actually I need deeper connection mm. with the people uh, in this system. Uh, one of the key things to keep in mind is that systems are are filled with people, you know, yeah. if they're people, they're the hearts of people going on here. I mean, um, you don't, if you don't have people, you don't have a system. And, and oftentimes the tension that can be introduced is, well, actually we need a deeper connection for this to work. Yeah. Um, and it will drive us into spending a greater amount of time to search out the hearts of the people around us. And, mm. and God really allows that. He allows a conflict to occur in, in, mm. in his kingdom. I think, well, oftentimes we have this idea of the kingdom of heaven as being a complete conflict-free zone. Yeah. Well, not necessarily because we're completely different. Um, unity doesn't mean that you know, you and I are lucky we end up with exactly the same opinions on everything. Unity actually means that despite our differing opinions, um, yeah. we actually it's 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 love and mutual value that keeps mm. us connected in relationship. So if we kind of like move out of that place of love and and honor and, and connection, that creates a tension and mm. that's only going to be resolved by us doing the hard yards of actually searching each other's heart out, um, doing love, doing taking the time to to rebuild the connection. Yeah. So it's almost like um you know when problems arise if they're not solved straight away, it's almost like the Holy Spirit is saying the hearts that are in this system need to be flowing with grace. Yeah. And there's a problem in one of the connections in one of the pipelines or the aqueducts and there's not enough water to be supplied to solve this problem. So you need to go and fix your aqueduct and fix this connection Yeah. so that the grace can flow again so that this problem can be solved. Yeah, well, you're touching on a really fascinating idea, which is the idea that God's desiring um, our hearts to flow with grace mm. um, so that grace actually comes from, from my heart uh, and flows into your heart, you know, that I access a part of God that you can't access and I release it to you mm. um, and you access a part of God that I can't access and you release it to me and we have a, well, like a mutual flow of grace between mm. us. So you're releasing something of God that's empowering me and I'm releasing something of God that's empowering you. I remember the first time I really kind of got this was when I kind of went out went out of a community that that we're established in for a really long period of time and it's away for a couple of weeks and um, at the time I was like just having a blast but about four or three or four weeks in I started really missing uh, the connections that I had the friendships that I had mm. um, and then at about four or five weeks I was just like man I feel completely empty I feel wow. completely empty from the grace of God and I'm all I want to do is come back into connection and see what these people are going to show me of the nature of God again wow. and um, I remember coming back into the country and being picked up by a friend at the airport and man it just felt so good to see him again and I could instantly start to feel that you know, he was supplying my heart with grace just through our relationship, just being yeah. connected. And that really kind of cuts in this idea that we, that Paul kind of jumps on um, of, you know, of community 
in the body of Christ being a body. Mm. Uh, and what do you see in the body? Well, the blood. There's a, there's blood that flows uh, mm. and provides all the other different organs to 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 perform their function. And in a lot of ways, grace. Um, you know, the blood of Christ is an analogy for the grace of God. Mm. And if we're all different members of His body, um, if you know you're the spleen and I'm the lower intestines, mm. or you know, we, but we have a connection, and that connection occurs through the arteries uh, and through the through the veins of this body. I mean, I know that's not totally biologically correct. I'm kind of stretching the metaphor, but you've still got this idea that there's this substance that's flowing throughout the whole body that's causing the connect interconnected parts to be supplied. And obviously blood is supplying mm. uh, all the different parts with oxygen and supplying it with all the different nutrients that are carried in the bloodstream. Yeah. You know, the parts of the body are being supplied by this substance that we're all required to, to mm. perform our job, but we need to stay in connection. I mean, it's you know the the intestines aren't going to function pretty well by themselves, disconnected from the body. So it's kind of like when we come back into connection, we're coming back into this mutual inflowing of grace. As mm. you go to the Father and release grace to my heart, and I go to the Father and um, you know release grace for other people, and I come back into this community kind of atmosphere, and suddenly I'm like, man, this place is just flowing with grace because yeah. everyone's going to God receiving something that, they were, that we're releasing in community. And that's why I think when Paul uses that kind of analogy for um, for the body the body of Christ, you know, don't you know you're the body of Christ? You, mm. you need each other. You need to stay connected with with grace. You need, I mean, the writer of Hebrews gets to the end and he goes, see to it that none amongst you uh, fail to obtain the grace of God. Mm. What's going on? Well, you can fail to obtain the grace of God. And that's a, that's a daily practice. You need to be obtaining the grace of God on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, and if you fail to obtain the grace of God, it's because something terrible has happened. And that's why the writer of Hebrews goes on and says that uh, no bitter root springs up in your midst, defiling many. Mm. Well, what's a, a bitter root? Um, I mean, that's you know, there's a whole great stream of teaching through EH that talks about bitter root judgment or... Um, a bitter root uh, expectancy, I think, is the the, co- the yeah. counterpoint to that. But a bitter root is actually talking about a relational uh, something that's occurred relationally. Mm. Bitterness exists in a relational context, and if bitterness has occurred in a relational context, and the writer of Hebrews is linking the idea of bitterness occurring in a relational context with being cut off from the grace of God, it tells us there's something about relationship. Mm. that keeps us in a place of obtaining the grace of God. This Mm. is why I think community is a greenhouse for growth. Uh, When you come outside the community, you're just not getting the grace that God wants you to have. And Mm. that's why it's really important to keep our hearts open and receiving. And obviously, as you touched on before, this kind of image of maybe the connections between our hearts could be likened to like a pipe or Mm. or an artery or something like that. It's important to keep... um, our hearts open to one another to keep receiving that grace. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting that, you know, God makes a statement, it is not good for man to be alone. Um, and it's the differences that can either cause tension Come on. or grace. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, like problems to be solved, glory to glory or not glory to glory. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating example because you're totally right. I mean, God created the Adam mm. um, and then he said it's not 
good for man or this the human to be alone um, and actually decided to, 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 to set up relationship as the foundation for, for Adam's mandate in the garden. Mm. Um, so what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that something about going forth, being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, replenishing it, um, taking charge of all creation and expanding um, Eden had to occur in the context of relationship. It was mm. through relational connection uh, between Adam and Eve that was going to allow that to occur. And so when obviously Adam and Eve fall uh, and we go into this kind of like the cursed conditions, uh, my, my view of that, the verse when Jesus, oh, sorry, my, my apologies, when the Father speaks to them, isn't so much that God is cursing them. Uh, it's actually that he's describing the conditions that they've now come into. Um, it's like, because you've done this thing, I'm not, God doesn't actually lay a curse upon them, but he says, this is now the condition of being separated from heaven. And obviously one of those conditions is that, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be a gender, um, fight. There's a fight for power. Your desire will be for your husband. He says to Eve, um, that's often been interpreted as meaning you'll desire to, to, to take authority over him or rule Mm. over him. Um, and I forget the I forget the second half of the verse. What does it say? It's like, but but he will rule over you. Yeah. But he will rule over you. I think is what it says. Mm. And I think you know that's not a design. That's not design. That's obviously not God's design. Yeah. I mean, the God's design is obviously seen prior to the fall. Mm. Um, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Mm. Um, and great will be your and your your pains in childbirth will be greatly greatly increased. I think is yeah. how it goes. He's describing the conditions of being in the fall state. It's kind of like a system that he has put in place. And since it is not being solved through the grace, it is actually... It's thrown out of order. That's right. And so you have an oppression. Mm. And what we see is that, you know, there's a a competition between the two components. Yeah. um, Both wanting power over the other uh, and both kind of grasping for it. And, you know, God's obviously making the point, look, it's going to be men that end up holding it. And that sucks. Um, And that's why when we come into the New Testament... You've got Paul describing the kind of new creation description of what marriage would look like or partnership. Mm. And actually says, um, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Yeah, That's a pretty heavy qualifier. I mean, Christ yeah. loved the church to the point where he was willing to sacrifice himself on the cross yeah. um, and cut open his own heart, as it were, um, to, to bleed himself mm. for, for, for the empowerment of the bride. That's a pretty high bar of sacrifice. Yeah. And what you actually see is that, you know, God sets up a, a model in new creation marriage, which is designed for empowerment mm. to flow through the man so that um, you can actually you can actually step into equality through that. And so yeah. there's an obligation on 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 the husband, as it were, to be Christ to his wife, to be mm. sacrificial so that she can be empowered uh, to to equality. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, I mean, we can get really stuck on that headship idea, but, you know, God, God is the head of Christ. He fully gave Christ all things, the full inheritance, uh, and raised, raised him up to the right hand of the Father. Mm. Um, you know, Christ received the full and final empowerment of God in the resurrection. Um, who is worthy to break the seal? He, he that is... He that has shed his blood for all creation and he has overcome and God's raised him up. We see the inauguration scene in Revelation 5 and 6. Mm. Um, 
he's been raised up to the right hand of the Father, and now Christ is raising up the church to full equality with him. Uh, so likewise, men have the obligation in Christ to release grace to their wives, um, to fully come back to that kind of equal equal grounds that God really, I think, uh, intended us to be on prior to the yeah. fall. So, And in a way, you know, family is a system. Yeah. A family is a system. You know, family is going to need to, to, you know, operate like a kingdom system. We're going to be priests to each other in a kingdom system. We're going to be kings. We're going to prevail, determine what prevails uh, in our lives. Uh, and we're going to basically uh, work together to solve problems. Mm. Um, so all the, a lot of those kingdom principles come into play, I think, in the, in the family as well. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it's so interesting how it's, um, it's not just systems make room for peace, but peace can be used to create systems. And it's like once you, once you have a value on the Holy Spirit, everything has to come into alignment, not everything has to come into alignment before you can have a value mm. on the Holy Spirit. Totally, I would agree with that. I think, um, I mean, uh, one of the fascinating things that we see in Scripture is that Jesus actually becomes the embodiment of heaven's peace on the earth. Mm. Um, and he's establishing the church. And he's establishing... Um, his authority over both the forces of darkness. Um, obviously, we see that plenty of times in the in the in the Gospels, uh, as Christ drives out demons and and walks in heaven's authority over the spirit realm. It's also really the authority of heaven over chaos in the created realm as well. This kind of taps into a whole idea that we might look at in a little bit more depth in a later podcast. Mm. But the idea of permitted chaos in creation. Yeah. God's allowed there to be an element of chaos that occurs in creation. Um, but that he's also given us keys to overcome and establish um, systems in the midst of a chaotic environment. Mm. And really what we see is that Jesus really embodies heaven's peace uh, and shows up. I mean, probably the best image for this is when, you know, the disciples are in the middle of a storm. You know, the boat's really taking water. They're having a really terrible time out in the middle of the lake. And they're freaking out because they, they, they're going to die. Uh, and in this, in this context, um, the sea, kind of like the writer of the Gospels knows that we're familiar with the, with the Old Testament. And, and, in the, and in the Old Testament, the sea often gets used as a metaphor for the chaos in this world. Yeah. Um, you see in Psalms, David says stuff along the lines of, uh, you calm the chaos of the nations, the, they, they rage against you, but you still the seas. Mm. Uh, and there's this, what, what's known as prophetic paralleling or prophetic parallels going on where it says uh, of the nature of God, this is really something the writers do all the time. They say, you do this thing, then you do this other thing, and then you do this other thing. And really what they're saying is they're all the same thing. Yeah, you know, stilling the chaos of the nations is stilling the seas because, in the prophetic imagination, the sea is a prophetic picture for for what the for the chaos of the nations. Mm. And so, the gospel writers know this, and and you see them a lot of the times through their narratives, really drawing on this kind of uh, prophetic history of the language, mm. as it were. Um, use of mountains, use of um, all these different types of imagery, but they're really drawing on a rich heritage of of prophetic meaning that's been mm. attached to these terms. And so, you know, the, the disciples are way out in the middle of the ocean and they're having a really terrible time and they actually see Jesus approaching them on the water 
Um, no, actually, no, let me clarify. He's actually asleep in the boat, this one. Uh, and, and they wake him up. Um, and he speaks to the storm. He says, peace, be still. And mm. the storm is completely stilled. And then the verse after that is really fascinating. It says, and they, they marveled, saying, what manner of man is this? Mm. Uh, and that's really key because that's really one of these points in the gospel narrative where they're starting to tweak you know, there's something going on here with God. He's not like us. They've seen him cast out demons, but and that's authority over the over the spirit realm. They're seeing over the demonic realm, but they're now seeing him exercise authority over the storm, and that kind of, in the gospel writer's mind, ratchets the authority level up a notch, because suddenly we're in a realm where, in the kind of a apocalyptic understanding that the the the, the the prophetic understanding, only gods have authority over the chaos of this world. Mm. Um, there's a really great stream of, we're getting into it now, but we may as well open it up. Yeah. There's a really great stream of um, comparative mythology known as Chaos, chaos Kampf. It's spelled C-H-A-O-S-K-A-M-P-H. And it's a study of the, of the use of chaos in different mythologies that exist around the world. Um, and uh, what they tend to find is that a lot of kind of primitive mythological systems, there's an understanding of chaos existing in the created realm, but there's always like a God figure or, or a divine figure that comes up and stills the chaos. So uh, in the Baal cycle, uh, you have, um, I believe, the 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 god Baal stilling this kind of ancient serpent that's reflective of, of chaos in the, in the created realm. Um, in uh, the dream time in Australian mythology, oftentimes the rainbow serpent can be reflective of, of the forces of nature, the chaos of nature. But then you also have these kind of like regional totemic um, spirits mm. Uh, and they are the protector spirits, and they're going to protect you from the chaos that occurs out there. Yeah. Um, and what makes them divine, or specifically totemic, or like something you can go to for help? I mean, in this sense, divine isn't what necessarily we would describe in the Western mindset as divine, because oftentimes in a Western paradigm, divine it means omnipotent, omniscient, um, and Ultimate. yeah, and omnipresent, basically. Mm. You, you, and you're transcendent. Oftentimes in the primitive worldview, uh, divine simply meant you had authority and you could protect from the forces of chaos, from other evil forces in the world, uh, and you're available to protect if you could kind of perform an exchange. Mm. So that's why you go into like a lot of these Amazon, Amazon, Amazonian kind of like tribes or, you know, Southeast Asian tribes or even African tribes. And, and oftentimes there's some kind of like exchange going on with the, mm. with the local god. You know, if we give him grain, we give him this, that, and the other, and he provides protection and provision. Mm. And he's providing that over and against the spiritual force of chaos. Mm. And it's a pattern that recurs pretty regularly. I mean, you can dig into a lot of mythology. You can dig into a lot of um, spiritual worldview, and you, you tend to find this theme kind of sits in there. You know, yeah. This spirit exists. We have a relationship with it, and it provides us a benefit uh, against the force of chaos. Mm. And so, you know, the, the Israelites, um, you know, the, the, the disciples of Jesus, they're aware of this kind of mythology. I mean, they've, they've, they've grown up on the 
the the the, the basically the old covenant, the, the yep. Septuagint. They're familiar with the writings, and every time authority in the old covenant shows up to still the seas, it's divine authority. I mean, you've got this um, creation narrative with the chaos monster, as it were, in in, in Psalms called Leviathan, and and El um, Yah. Uh, Yahweh breaks the heads of Leviathan to to, to form creation. Mm. You've got Jonah, uh, where God um, stirs up the seas against Jonah's boat, but then he also stills the seas the moment that, jo- that Jonah gets thrown overboard and he gets mm. eaten by the fish. You've got the Red Sea crossing. Um, God stirs up the seas and separates the waters uh, in order that the Israelites can pass through, and then he kind of lets them close over again. So really this whole idea of authority over over the ocean is kind of really like authority over chaos, yeah. over the forces of chaos in this world. And, and so when, when Jesus wakes up, when he stills the storm, he's actually kind of tapping into this archaic worldview that, you know, I have a authority over the forces of chaos that have been allowed in the world. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so I mean, I mean you, you've got Jesus embodying that, but also teaching us how to do that as well. Mm. Um, and I think when he gives these, the prophetic picture of giving his peace to the disciples um, is actually a prophetic picture of saying, you know, handing to his disciples authority over chaos. I mean, it's interesting. I don't have the paperwork in front of me right now, but when you actually break down the Hebraic structure of the word shalom, mm. um, you get this four-part um, Hebraic kind of breakdown of the letters, and it actually means uh, of shalom the authority that brings that that destroys uh no it's the it's the strength that destroys the authority behind chaos yeah there's like a teeth that destroys um a staff um and then there's another thing that signifies um the the ocean being chaos so shalom peace is really not just this kind of passive thing but it's actually Mm. the authority that steps in to steal the forces of chaos in this world. That's why when Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you, he's actually saying, I'm giving you the atmosphere of heaven that's going to steal every force of chaos that comes Mm. against you. And with that in mind, we can be like Christ and then sleep in the middle of the, sleep in the middle of the storm and then the bottom of the boat. Yeah. Well, that's really good. Yeah, I've just been thinking about when, when you said, um, Christ came to give you peace, not as the world gives you, yeah. but peace and so forth. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting that in our Western culture, our, our industrial corporate society, it's kind of like this inauthentic peace that has been created through systems. Um, so would you say that systems in the kingdom don't necessarily look like ordered, numbered, straight and narrow systems but rather just environments and atmospheres yeah i would i would agree i think there's i think peace is a multi-dimensional thing uh i guess you can look at the world's conception of peace as being like the pax romana um pax romana was a kind of like a description for the peace that came to the ancient world after rome had conquered it uh, and it's really the absence of fighting. Um, the Pax Romana happened because Rome was the strongest power and they basically conquered all the tribes. And um, because of that, the tribes didn't fight with each other anymore. But it's really kind of what you'd call a negative peace. 
because it's it's just the absence of conflict. But it isn't really solving anything because people are oppressed now by just a bigger, stronger power, which happens to be Rome. Um, there's still oppression occurring. Um, there's still a disempowerment of people, and it's not necessarily, you know, uh, solving any problem. And it's certainly not hosting the presence of God. Uh, now we're in the new covenant. I think peace is kind of like a multi-dimensional thing now, um, because peace is is the presence of God. And it's the atmosphere of heaven. But in another sense, peace is also knowing that we're in right relationship. Mm. Uh, peace comes when I when the conflict kind of passes. And have you ever had one of those arguments with someone where it was actually a, a incredibly constructive? It wasn't mm. so much an argument, but it was a it was a heated conversation. But you were both having the conversation because you wanted to bring the relationship to a new place. Yeah, it was rather deconstructive of of these possible assumptions that had arisen in our hearts. Yeah, fully. And you kind of had to work it a little bit because you wanted to say, "Hey, we need to we need to come to a new way of relating." Yeah, uh, and it's kind of not working that we're in this old way. Um, that's really good. I think God allows relationship to go in those places. And it's kind of like yeah. a, it's a healthy, we're in a healthy crisis. Crisis is what worked for us before relationally. That's not working anymore. Mm. We need to actually come to a new place and we need to have a conversation about it. And it could be a little bit of a painful conversation, but it's going to bring us into a new place. Yeah. Um, and so to really have that level of peace, and let's call it relational peace. Um, you know, the atmosphere of heaven or the presence of the spirit is good, but it's just not enough. Mm. You've got to have those conversations as well. And so when we come into contact with each other, we both walk away feeling empowered. Yeah, uh, That's going to produce peace in your heart because you're going to think, I'm understood. This guy is actually taking the time to know my heart and I'm coming away f- empowered by this relationship. Yeah. So there's relational peace. And then I think you can also look as well and, and ask, well, is our system solving the problems of society i mean um there's a thousand problems in in families obviously it's it's primarily relational um education you know we're looking the problem is people's educational level uh is that improving um governance the governance level it's basically are we leading people into a better society uh you look at the mountain of say the media and it's is truth being released into society um and in a lot of ways, these are functional outcomes, mm. uh, but they're going to experience a level of peace when they're producing the fruit of their functional outcome. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, peace is the functional fruit of having produced something that's working well. Yeah. Um, you know, when you've, I don't know if you've ever created, like, you know, if you've set up a business and you sit back and you're like, man, the business is working. That's going, to give, that's going to bring you peace. Yeah. Uh, but it's a functional peace. Mm. And then you've got the sense of which, oh man, I'm connected with every person in my business. And that feels right. Yeah. And I, I know their hearts and they're having an empowering experience of me. Um, that's a relational peace and that's mm. going to create a certain level of peace in your life. Then the third dynamic is, you know what? We've prayed over this business. My heart is a priest to every person in this business. I'm a king because i'm actually releasing grace over the atmosphere of my business and i can feel as i step into the the grounds of my business uh that the atmosphere of heaven is here that's a spiritual peace that's the atmosphere of heaven uh, Mm. that obviously you have jesus talking about so in that respect you've got peace kind of showing up in three different dimensions but they're all really key dimensions to uh of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end because of course government is really just another way of saying system of the increase of God's systems and 
peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of God's kingdom and peace, there will be no end. If you're doing things with kingdom values, uh, it's going to create relational peace, functional peace, and an atmosphere of heaven's heaven's peace, a spiritual mm. peace. So, well, I guess what would you say then to to corporations and and things that have s- these str- straight and narrow systems in place and have the illusion of peace just because there is no disruption? It's a, f- a really fascinating question because we're starting to hit on this idea of well, how does the Father want to redeem fallen systems? And it's fallen in, in a few respects because it's not producing the peace that God wants it to. Um, it could be solving a problem. Uh, and I think there's some fantastic companies that solve problems. You think about Apple or Tesla um, uh, or, or um, I was going to say Volkswagen, but they've really blown it lately with their emissions scandal. But, yeah. you know, these guys are producing functional peace. They're, they're actually producing systems that are helping. Mm. They're improving society. Um, but it's not relational. Uh, and it's certainly not hosting the presence of God mm. and giving or giving God the glory, as it were. Yeah. Um, and so you really begin to ask the question, well, how would God, let me rephrase that, how would Jesus, if he was to step in as the CEO of Tesla Motors instead of Elon Musk, what would he do to produce a kingdom system out of Tesla? And we know that, you know, it is actually the Father's heart for creativity mm. um, and for innovation to flourish on the earth. I mean, I think that's totally the heart of Jesus to have mm. this kind of stuff bubble up and spill over. Because, you know, he said to Adam, go forth, um, multiply, be fruitful and multiply. They're two mm. separate things. Multiplying is to create more of yourself, but being fruitful is to produce the fruit of human endeavor, both through creativity and through innovation. Yeah. So if Jesus was the CEO of Tesla Motors, you'd have him producing creativity and innovation, mm. but you'd also have him creating relational connections with his, with his employees like deep bonds of connection and they would come into right relationship with him. Mm. And you'd also have him uh, allowing Tesla motors to host the spiritual atmosphere of peace. Uh, And oftentimes you find that happens through giving God the glory or through creating space for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And how we create space for the Holy Spirit in the administration of our systems is a very fascinating idea. And I I don't know if I even have it yet, but I definitely want to go deeper in it. Mm. Um, but it's it's there's a set of questions there that are absolutely worth asking and exploring because it comes down to answering the question, well, we're currently in a place where the kingdoms of this world are not the kingdoms of our God. Mm. How do we go from where we are to where we need to be? Where we can look at something like Tesla Motors and say, the kingdom of Tesla Motors has become the kingdom of our God. Yeah. Or not just we, but the world would look at it and say, hey, that system is a part of the kingdom of God. Mm. We know this because we can look at it and see that it produces the fruit of the kingdom. And it's giving Empow- glory. Empowered people, the spirit's moving through it, but it's solving functional problems as well. Mm. Um, and you, you've still got a lot of companies out there that aren't even solving problems anyway. So it's kind of like, you know, let's start solving problems, but let's also do it through facilitating the Holy Spirit and empowering people. Yeah. So. yeah. What I love seeing now is that it's almost like we have a inherent need for peace and people now like non-Christian secular in the secular community, peace has become a value and even uh, something that is to be desired and 
companies, corporations that aren't bringing peace or renewing creation or all of these things um, are being boycotted. And, and they're like, no, we don't want this as a part of our lives. We actually support Tesla Motor because, because they're coming, coming out with a solar-powered battery storage. Um, and so we're going to support that. Same with Thank You Water, same with um, organic and, and, and renewable ways of um, supplying produce. Just, uh, yeah, I think it's really encouraging to see that in these last days, these end times even, that all all of created humanity is seeing the value of peace and um totally yeah. i would agree i think uh you know you look at proper stewardship of creation um and ethical engagement with uh other nations especially nations that are on a on a steeper development cycle um when you consider you know how businesses what 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 are the Kind of in economics, you'd call it the externalities. What are the what are the hidden costs of running this business? Um, all these things they are kingdom values. Uh, it, it's it's imp- we we need to have an empowerment engagement with the developing world. We need to uh, steward creation. Creation care is extremely important, and, and I think the church is really beginning to see that. Uh, and we also want to become um, ethically aware of the externalities of these businesses. Mm. And um, you know, we there's a lot of injustice that continues on, on the planet and is perpetuated by uh, just a, a general lack of awareness that we would have towards the cost uh, the hidden costs of what we consume and what we purchase um, and it's and it's highly kingdom you know I mean it's not just enough to ask um, how do we help the poor we have to also ask why why is, why the, is poor? the poor poor mm. and that leads us to a question of well, what if there's an oppressive system that they're subject to? Then we need to ask the next question is, well, what would Jesus say to that oppressive system? And how would Jesus heal that oppressive system? Yeah. And that's one of the great images we're left with in Revelation is when John looks at the tree and says, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. It doesn't say the leaves of the tree are God's little bombs that he wants to throw on the planet to burn the thing. He's actually saying there's something locked up in heaven for earth that's going to bring healing and redemption. Mm. Uh, and it's really, and and some of the ways this is going to get released is when we begin to actually value the healing of the nations yeah. and the, 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 you know, the, the, the kind of the wrapped up consequential ideas is that as we go forwards, we need to put values in place that heal that, that are going to facilitate the healing of the nations, that are going to empower developing nations, they're going to protect creation from further damage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now has come the time for destroying those that destroy the earth is literally a verse in Revelation. It's hard to believe we, we skim over that so often, but you've actually got this verse where God says something about those that destroy the earth, they, they're going to be subject to destruction themselves. Wow. Um, I don't think that we can necessarily interpret that outside the framework of a loving father because that's very clearly the lens we bring to revelation. Uh, if you don't bring that lens of a loving father to revelation, um, mm. you may as well know, not, not know Jesus because yeah. Jesus is the very image and um, he's the very image and the radiance of God. Yeah. And so we're looking through Christ at the father. So we're reading revelation through Christ yeah. because 
he's our first lens and then Revelation offers the second mm. lens or it's like he's our first set of glasses and Revelation then becomes the second set of glasses that, yeah. through whom we see the Father. So, you know, quite possibly what we're seeing in there is that Jesus is saying there's systems that destroy the earth um, mm. and these systems are going to have to be dismantled or destroyed yeah. uh, because the heart of the Father is obviously to steward creation properly. So, Well, yeah, it's even like live by the sword, die by the sword. Things that are created out of destruction or death, no matter how ordered or, or, or perfect the systems are, if the result is destruction of the earth, even of, of creation, it will destroy itself. Things that are created in life and peace will end in life and peace. If Jesus was the CEO of Lockheed Martin, he would dismantle the company. Mm. Because it's not a company that progresses kingdom values on the earth. Uh, it, it very clearly isn't. I mean, their guns show up all around the world. So, yeah. you know, we've, we uh, have to become aware of this kind of like kind of pool of kingdom values that God wants to begin to solve problems amidst. And I'd definitely love to go deeper in a later podcast on yeah. creation care and, you know, kingdom ethic of environmentalism because I think that stuff's fascinating. But even for now, I think it's just enough to say, you know, the systems that God, when the kingdoms become the kingdoms of our God, um, it's because they're taking care and protecting the world in the same way God would. Mm. That brings us back to Revelation 1, you know, where man gets created uh, as the image of God or in the image of God, as it could be translated. Mm. Uh, we're called to become reflections, images like a, like a mirror, like Jesus is the lens or the light that shines the nature of God. And imager becomes a reflection of that same light uh, and reflects that back to the earth. So we are reflecting not the, you know, God looks like, you know, he has two eyes and nose and a mouth, although he probably does, but it's not so much a functional um, reflection, but it's rather that we're, uh, I mean, sorry, no, it's not so much a material reflection like you look like God, mm. but rather it's functionally you're beginning to act like God would act to the earth, how the Father would act. Obviously, we see that through Christ, whom the writer of Hebrews tells us is the the full and final reflection of the, of the revelation of the nature of God. Yeah. So, Well, awesome. I feel like this has been a good initial podcast. We covered a lot of ground. Um, yeah, it will definitely be longer than, than our other podcasts. I feel like we'll be able to get into more of a flow and hit the points that we want to hit early but this is a good foundation i feel um so yeah, yeah. this has been episode one of citizens of heaven i'm we Lockie. didn't even quite get to explaining citizens yeah. of heaven yeah that's right kind of just kind of like launched straight into systems and um peace and grace um some really great concepts there yeah but uh we'll get to citizens of heaven maybe in episode two this podcast each each podcast will be a mosaic, a piece of the mosaic that is citizens of heaven. That's really true. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm Lockie. And I'm Simon. And we'll be back uh, probably within the next fortnight with another episode, episode two. So stay tuned. Thanks for subscribing and make sure you share this on your social media networks.